Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird in the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Very minimal announcements today because I need every second that I've got to get into this this morning. So welcome to Sacred City Church. My name is Justin. I am the lead pastor here at the church. And today we are going to study what the Bible has to say about human beings. Where did we come from? What are we for? What makes us unique uh, compared to all the other living things that we see around us? We're going to ask and answer the question, do we have a purpose that's bigger than just living for our own personal happiness? Do we have a purpose that's bigger than just, you know, existing on this planet. We're going to see what God had originally planned for us and what is the type of life that God blesses. Isn't that what you want? Don't you want to live that, a life that God would bless? Right? Young people, listen, God's blessing is the best thing you could ever experience in your life. It's better than anything the riches have to offer, anything this world has to offer. God's blessing is the ultimate of this human life. And our text today is going to show us what does it look like to live a life that God looks at and blesses, right? Now, we're going to look at our origin to find the answer to those questions. And that origin story is the story found in the first three chapters of the book of the Bible in Genesis. But before we do that, let me pray for us and ask God to open our eyes, ears, and minds and hearts to his word this morning. God of all gods, we worship you, we exalt you, you are high and lifted up, you are majestic. Um, God, you are too much for us. And, I, and I, I'm standing before your text this morning knowing that this word is too much for me, that I can't contain it, I can't adequately preach it, I can't adequately describe it. You, it's just too much for words. And so that means we desperately need your Holy Spirit. We need you to straighten out our, th our crooked thinking. We need you to bring light into our dark areas. We need you to bring revelation to us. Teach us from your word. Teach us so that we may know you. We may know who we are. We, we may know, know what you have done for us. We may know what you've called us to do in this life. 
God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would uh, think through my mind and speak to my vocal cords that your people would hear not just my words this morning, but your words. Would you do it for your glory and for our joy? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, the last two weeks, we have studied the doctrine of God two weeks ago and the doctrine of creation last week. We've learned that God is the uncreated creator. He has no beginning and will have no end. That he is the only necessary being in all the universe and everything else that exists was created by him and is contingent upon him. That means creation still relies on God for its existence, substance, and continuity. In other words, if God stopped giving us life and sustenance, creation would wither and die. Creation would no longer exist. Paul says it like this in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. For in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. Remember, there was two modes of being. There is God and there is creation. God exists all by himself and then everything else that he has created. Well, last week we saw this benevolent creator, the first author who like a playwright meticulously and purposefully crafted the setting to his epic story. He created everything according to his own will and purpose. He custom designed the heavens and the earth as Joel talked about and gave a little factoid this morning that brought us to worship. He custom designed the seas and the sky. He filled them with multitudes of multitudes of living creatures that perfectly fit the environment that he created for them. The swimming creatures were custom designed for the water, the birds of the air, or the birds for the air, the beasts of the field and the things that creep along the ground for the earth. That God created this custom designed glorious world and then he fills it with living things and then he chooses to create the pinnacle of his creation, earthlings. We're going to spend a lot of time in the next two months talking about what it means to be an earthling. Well, the actual Hebrew term in the Bible is Adam. It's the generic term for mankind. It encompasses both male and female. And it's where Adam will eventually get his name. So we're going to, now that we're caught up to speed here, we're going to jump back into Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. And we're going to see what God's word has to say for us today. Then God said, let us make man, Adam, in our image after our likeness. Now, this is interesting here. John Calvin says, up until this verse, God has been commanding. Now he's consulting. You remember he said, let there be light. And there was light. He said, let there be, he's dividing the waters, he's doing this, he's just speaking, it's happening. Now, God says, let us make man in our image. It's as if the Trinity is gathering together, they're huddling up together, and they're like, give me your ideas, what do you got? I think we should include this in the design of mankind. Okay, all right, I see where you're going with that. I think we should design this. Okay, I think, and they're contemplating, they're discussing what this thing, this human being, this Adam is going to look like, going to possess, going to be like. Now, Calvin says, he, may, he, he clarifies, he makes this statement. He says, God's not doing this because he needs to. 
right? He's not lacking wisdom and needs help from the Holy Spirit or help from the Son. He's not doing it like that. He's actually showing us uh, this contemplation that, that he's doing something different with us to point it out to us that there's something unique about human beings. We're not like the animals that he just spoke into being. We're not like that. We're something unique. He wants us to be drawn in and to pay attention because God is about to do something more wonderful than he has previously done in the rest of creation. So right away, we're going to learn that there is something that makes human beings distinct from the rest of creation. You, listen, I'm going to get into a lot of trouble today. No, maybe not. Well, I probably will. Uh, it's, it's my belief that people want to believe we come from monkeys because they want to act like them. Okay. Basically, if we're just, an, if we're, we're just, you know, a product of evolution, then there is no God above us, right? There are, there are no morals. There is no right and wrong. There is no beauty. We get to decide what we want to do. So if we want to throw our poop against the wall and call it art, we can do that. I didn't say that in the first service. That's just for y'all. All right. <laughs> Right? Or if we want to sexually act like beasts of the field, we can do that. We want to act like monkeys, so we hope we came from them. All right? The Bible's got a different plan, and it comes with dignity. <laughs> it comes with value. It comes with worth that you'll never find in any, any other worldview. So right away, we see something that makes us unique, and here's what it is. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, says, let us make mankind like us. In, and this is called, in Latin, it's called imago Dei. We're made in the image and likeness of God. There's something about us that looks like God or, or is made in his image in some way that's distinct from the rest of creation. Now listen, the imago Dei, you'll, you can never, under, I'm gonna tell you right now, you can never get to the end of the imago Dei. The imago Dei is beyond our comprehension. I'm gonna, I probably fell into the hole that sucked about 80 hours of my week this week, okay? Of trying to capture the Imago Dei and then d- deliver it to you. Uh, so anything less than 80 hours, this sermon is concise. Let's just say like that, okay? Uh, but what, I, what, I'm, what I'm gonna try to do is I'm gonna try to give us a picture of what it means to be made in God's image. And I want us to walk out of here with a better understanding of what that means, that you are I'm going to say it. You are special in all of creation. God has done something unique in you. And we're going to take a look at that right now. What does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, remember the first week we talked about who God was and we talked about God's incommunicable attributes, namely his omnipotence, his omniscience, and his omnipresence. Those are things that makes God holy, makes God not like us, and we can never be like that, okay? We can never be like that. But listen, something about the Imago Dei means that we can, we can be like God in his communicable attributes. Well, what the heck does that mean? His communicable attributes, the things he can communicate to us, the things that he can give to us are things like his goodness, his love, his wisdom, his justice, his righteousness, that human beings have the ability to be loving and wise and just, ju- 
even as God is, even though we can never be absolutely loving and absolutely kind and absolutely wise and absolutely just because we are not God. Okay? So part of being made in the image of God means we can reflect these communicable attributes back to the world. We can be like him to, in, our, in our marriages. We can be like him in our parenting. We can be like him on the workplace. We can possess these uh, traits of God in some measured form. But the Imago Dei means more than that you can just be a good, nice person, okay? It means so much more than that. Being made in the image of God also means you have a soul. There is a part of you that is immaterial, there's a part of you that you can't see, that you can't touch, that no scientific test can ever measure. And that part of you will live forever somewhere. It means that you are rational. It means that you were made to commune with God. You were made religious. It means that you are conscious. You are self-conscious your, of yourself, Right? It means you have a personality. It means you're moral. It means that we were made to love God and love the rest of creation. It means we were created with dignity, value, and worth. We are far more than just animals who can talk. So the Imago Dei is actually where human rights comes from. Now, there have been several books written as of late by non-Christians, I might add, that prove with certainty that the concept of human rights, that every human is born with inalienable rights, that that concept, you know, that we're born with inherent dignity, value, and worth, no matter the color of our skin, no matter what nationality or economic bracket you fall in or religion, this idea has come from the Judeo-Christian worldview and nowhere else. This is why there's a lot of nations and countries in this world that don't believe in human rights. China being one of them. Before Christianity comes on the scene, might made right. What that means is whoever has the most power gets to determine what is right, what is good, and what is moral. In Christianity, we learn that the king is to rule, or the president, or whatever you want to say, prime minister, the ruler is meant to rule under the king of kings. The ruler is meant to rule in the way of the king of kings. So his kingdom, we want it to come to this earth, right? So the king is to get his idea of justice, morality, and goodness from God himself, and then rule his kingdom in that way. God himself defines what goodness, truth, and beauty are, and we are to bend our ideas of justice to his. Now, these are all aspects of the Imago Dei, but the aspect that the text first brings to light is that mankind was created and placed on this earth to, quote, have dominion over it, to have dominion over it. Look at our text here. It says, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we have animals and we have inanimate matter. So we have all of creation, mankind was created to have dominion over. Now that word dominion, 
means to rule, okay? Hey, parents, are you teaching your kids that your kids were meant to have dominion over this earth? They're meant to have dominion over this earth. They're meant to be raised up to have dominion over this earth, right? Now, what does it mean to have dominion? What does it mean to rule? Well, first off, don't misinterpret it as exploitation. To have dominion over creation does not mean to exploit creation. Does not mean exploitation. It means to rule. Adam and Eve were created as a king and a queen to rule and exercise authority over creation as God's vice regents. His small l lords over all the earth. That means they were meant to be his divine stewards. They were to rule like he rules, benevolently. Kindly, justly, creatively. They were to be sub-creators. Taking the materials that he had given them and creating beautiful and good cultural advancements. So think of it like this. God could just speak, right? Boom, light. Light appeared. That's not how God made Adam. God made Ad- God put the earth full of potential. God put Adam and Eve in the garden and then God said, go make stuff. Go create culture. So Adam couldn't walk out his back door and go BMW, right? He couldn't do that, right? He had to go dig up the stuff in the earth, right? Learn how to, learn the process of melting it down. Learn how the process, he had to go do all of this, this cultural work and to advance the culture and to create things. So that's what Adam and Eve were created to do. Take the stuff of creation and then fashion it and shape it towards a more advanced civilization. So here's the idea. When God put Adam in the garden, he had the new heavens and the new earth in mind. So God began in a garden and he always meant the story to end in a city. He wanted cultural creation to happen from the the get-go. Now, it's interesting. So if you just move forward in Genesis quickly, you learn that one of Adam and Eve's sons was a keeper of sheep and the other was a farmer. That already is cultural advancement. In fact, that's the very beginning of the scientific method. To be a farmer or a rancher, you need to be able to observe the created order. How do things work? What makes the grass grow, right? You you plant that grass seed on the rocks, it doesn't work. Even in the Garden of Eden, it doesn't work, right? We think Garden of Eden was just never, never land that just, you know, everything we wanted happened. No, no, no. God created it a very certain way, right? So as this first rancher and farmer, they had to Look at the way God built the world and live in line with it. When does the grass flourish and what causes it to dry up? They had to know the seasons. To be a farmer would require you to learn how to rotate crops to maximize the ground's fertility. You'd have to learn when to plant and when to harvest. And of course, you would then know how, to, how do I cook and consume these foods or these, these things, right? In other words, right away, we see what it looks like for Adam and Eve and their kids to take dominion of the earth and create good culture. It means to study creation, to learn how it was built, and then conform our actions to reality. This is studying the architecture of the universe to learn its laws, the laws of physics, the laws of gravity, cause and effect, 
seed time and harvest. And listen, in order to do that, we would have to wake up expecting to be tomorrow to be like today, right? When I walk out my door, I don't get sucked up in outer space. I'm expecting tomorrow to be the same as it was yesterday. If this universe is chaotic, if this universe is all accident, why would I have any belief that tomorrow would be the same today? I wouldn't. C.S. Lewis famously said of this in his book, Miracles. He said, men became scientific because they expected laws in nature. They expected law in nature because they believed in a legislator. Hear that. Anytime you find the laws of nature, laws out there, where do laws come from? Laws don't just appear on their own, right? That speed limit sign just didn't pop up and invent itself. It was put there by a legislator, right? When we find laws in nature, those laws testify that behind them are a legislator that's creating the world in certain ways. Then you keep reading in Genesis 4. This gets interesting. Jabal was the father of all those who lived in tents and had livestock. In other words, they were nomadic farmers. By Genesis 4, they had already learned by observation and experiment that you needed to move your livestock around or they would all eat the grass in one spot and then they would eventually starve to death. His brother was Jubal. Jubal, it says, was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Doing this deal. Listen to this. We're only one chapter past the fall of man and that got them booted from the garden. And already we have music and musical instruments created and played. Now listen, do you think mankind, he's out there and he finds this, you know, probably this bamboo or something and he whittles it down and he puts that thing in there and he learns to play it and God's in heaven going, oh my self, what just happened? Right? Like, they made music. You know? Like, no. He's going, about time you found that. I put that there. Why do you think I built your ears the way that, that I built them? Why do you think you're moved by music? Right? All of this points back to, guess what? Not just is there a divine legislator behind all things. There's also a divine composer behind all things. There's a divine musician. The prophet Zephaniah says that God himself sings over us with joy. Right? And so he put this stuff here for us to discover. Why do certain musical chords sound good together? Right? Why can you harmonize and, whoa, that sounds pleasant? Right? Why does the bass move your heart? Why does the drum, why do like drums are, are historically used in battle? Right? Because there's something about that kick drum that moves me in a certain way. Right? There's something about it that let's go. Let's take the hill. God built that into his creation. He built it there. He put it there for us to discover. We also learn here, as you're starting to see, see things, when God calls us to this work, and this is, you can call this the cultural mandate that God's given for mankind. It looks different for each one of us. Right? Some of us are musically inclined. Some of us aren't. But what it means to go out and take dominion means whatever gifts God's given you, you go out and you exercise those in your sphere of influence and you bring about good things for the glory of God, right? Whether it's sheep herding, whether it's farming, whether it's uh, creating musical instruments, or then the next one we've got here, 
Tubal-Cain. And Tubal-Cain was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. I love this. This guy, he's digging in the dirt and he finds something. Can you imagine? Like it's, it's, it's better than Tom Hanks on Survivor. I made fire. This guy comes out. He's like, I have a tool, right? I made something from the earth, right? Pretty amazing. Now, why am I bringing this up? God says that we are to take dominion over all the earth. He put us here for a purpose to do this, okay? And by, we've got it, we, we have it literally, Genesis 4, we see this already happening very rapidly. And then by the time you get to Noah, Noah has the knowledge, the engineering skills, and the tools necessary to build a giant boat that will withstand a worldwide flood. That is a lot of cultural advancement that's going on in a rather short period of time. And what we need to see is that God created us to do this work of cultural creation. Listen, God wants human beings to mine the earth, to bring up its treasures, to create good things out of those minerals that bless mankind and display God's glory to a watching world. God knew from the beginning that we could create, you know, all those motherboards and all those technological chips that we would need, the stuff that's in the earth to create them, those battery-operated cars that you got to go mine and you got to get the stuff up to be able to make them. God put it there for us to do that. Some theologians say in this commandment here, this cultural commandment to go be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion, God was saying, go to the moon. Build rockets, go to the moon. He put us here made us in his image as his divine vice regents to take the stuff of creation and advance it into something new and unique. This is one aspect of what it means to take dominion and rule over creation. But as I said before, I don't want us to confuse this with exploiting the earth. We're also called to be the stewards of creation. That means we must balance our work of cultural creation and expansion with stewardship. So Christians should care deeply about creation. We don't make it into an idol and worship it like much of the world is currently doing, much of the Western world is currently doing, saying that since the climate is changing and some of that is most likely caused by human behaviors, humans therefore are just a parasite on this planet. These people seem to care more about the earth than they do about human beings. They might be recognizing a real problem, but their solutions are worse than the problem itself. They want us to stop having kids, thinking that the honorable things to do is just to get married or be single the rest of your life and not have any children. Thinking that overpopulation is actually going to be the, or is, is the thing that's bringing about climate change is going to be the thing that brings about the destruction of our world. Well, it's not, folks. And if you study history, you know that underpopulation is always the greatest threat to civilizations. Which China is finding out after decades of their ungodly and disastrous one and two child only policies. Now in China, there's literally millions more men in the country than there are women. 
That means millions of men, and the reason, because they could only have one child and they wanted to have a man so that they could, he could grow up and take care of them, make more money and take care of them. So they aborted and killed women. It's baby, baby girls. It's horrible. And now they didn't have the foresight to see what was going to happen. Now there's millions more men in the society than there are women. Think about that. That means there are millions of men who will never marry, never have kids, and never get to experience the joys of married family life. Not to mention that all of this will eventually have terrible financial consequences as well when you don't have enough young workers in the workforce to pay for the aging population. So as God's vice regents... We should balance cultural creation with cultural stewardship at all times. And we should care for the environment God has given us without making it into an idol. God has graciously given us his creation and filled it with riches and resources so that we would search for them, find them, use them, and build great civilizations with them for his glory. But we must balance our cultural creation with cultural stewardship. So one of the aspects that God tells us makes us unique in creation is that we are meant to have dominion over it. As I said last week, God calls his creation good. Therefore, it is a good thing to build homes. It is a good thing to play music. It is a good thing to write songs. It is a good thing to learn math. It is a good thing to raise crops. Crops. It is a good thing to bake cakes. It is a good thing to work on cars and build tractors and write legislation and enforce justice. All of these things and a million more that I could mention can be and should be done to the glory of God and could be called doing the Lord's work. I was not raised to believe this. I thought doing the Lord's work only meant preaching the gospel, going to church, sharing your faith with someone, going on a missions trip. No, our original, the Lord's work, the original Lord's work was go take dominion of all the earth, be fruitful and multiply. That's the Lord's work. That's the original intent, origins of the Lord's work was that. Go create cool stuff out in the world. Right? Take dominion of this universe. That's our original cultural mandate. That young people, you may never hear that. That's what God's calling you to do. My kids are always, why do I have to learn? Because you're going to rule this thing. You're ruling somewhere in some place. You're meant to rule. So yeah, you need to know some math. Yeah, you need to know some philosophy. Yeah, you need to know some history. Right? You're not meant to be a YouTube star. Okay, I'm just going to tell you that. God created you to take dominion and rule over creation. All right? You're built for more than that. So you need an education. Listen, young people, there's a lot of stupid people in the world. They need a boss. You're meant to be it. All right? You're meant to be the ones that have the education that can point everybody else, you know, to the appropriate bathroom. All right? They're going to need that in the future. Okay? Well, I told you I'm going to get in trouble. Here we go. Here we go. <clears throat> so... All of this is the Lord's work. Listen, God's story, this world, this existence, everything we see, it was meant to begin in a garden and in a city. 
Okay? It was always meant to do that. And that city is going to be full of mankind's cultural creations. Revelation 21 says this, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. What is that? The kings of the earth. What are, they know? What are the pharaohs known for? Pyramids, all this kind of stuff, right? The kings of the earth, whatever cultural advancement they had, they're bringing them in, those that are redeemed, they're bringing them into the new heavens and the new earth. It says this, and that we will, quote, bring into it the glory and the honor of nations. The best thing that every civilization has created, right? What is that? I don't know what that is. I think it's probably has something to do with sushi and steak tacos, right? Come on now, right? I better... Whatever the culture is creating that, it's, that is cultivating creation and bringing about the glory of God, we're going to bring that into the new heavens and the new earth. We are not going to live in some kind of ethereal place where we float around with invisible bodies like we're all spirits one day. That's not where we're going. We're going to a physical new heaven and new earth that's going to be filled with things like instruments so we can play those instruments to the glory of God. Who knows what it's going to be filled with? So yes, listen, men, women, young boys, young ladies, we are created to build great things for the glory of God. That means your career matters to God. Your major in college matters to God. Whether you're going to be a laborer or whether you're going to be, you know, a CEO someday, all of it matters to God and you can do it all to the glory of God. We are all called to be productive members of society and make good things to his glory. That means we're meant to be more than just consumers. This is why your parents tell you to get off TikTok all the time. All that TikTok wants you to do is be a mindless consumer. A mindless consumer, all of a sudden, you need 16 pairs of of Jordans. Why do I need 16 pairs of Jordans? Because TikTok told me so. And I've been watching it so much, you're not cool unless you're doing all this stuff. Now listen, that's what social media, social media, do you realize it's free on your phone? Why is it free? Because you're the product. That's why. If they put it on your phone, they get into your mind, they get into your psyche, they get into your soul, and they can get you to buy what they want you to buy. Okay? That's why. You're meant to be more than a cultural consumer, you're meant to be a cultural creator. And God shows us something else here as well. For those of you young people I know, when you say, you're made, you're made to go out there and take dominion. I know young people, you're like, man, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of work. And it's for your good. It's for God's glory. But you're not just little worker bees, okay? You're not God's slaves sitting here on this earth. He's also called us to something more than that. He's called us to communion and union with a spouse. verse 27. So God created man in his own image, Adam, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now listen, some of this, what I'm going to talk about um, I know there's a lots of different people in here. There's some older folks and older generation. There's people in my generation in the middle, let's just say. Uh, and then there's some younger generation. Some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about for you in the older generation, 
Uh, it's just going to probably go over your head because you're like, what are you talking about? This is just common sense, okay? And for you, it, it is common sense, uh, but it's no longer common sense specifically to the younger generation. So some of this stuff is going to be targeted specifically to the younger generation because they're being tempted, they're being challenged in ways that we never were. And many of you parents aren't even aware of what's going on. Okay, because it's happening in the school system. It's happening on TikTok. It's happening on YouTube. It's happening everywhere. And you're not even aware of it. And when you hear it, you're going to laugh and joke. But the kids hear it differently. Okay. And so that's who I'm kind of targeting here in, with this next little section. Um, remember it last week when God created, he also separated. Do you remember that? He separated the earth from the sky. He separated the waters from the earth. He separated light from dark. Do you remember that was a key aspect of creation? God separating. Well, when God creates mankind, he also separates male and female. He separates and defines male and female. Now, in the coming weeks, we will focus on some of the distinctives between man and woman that God lays out in Genesis 2. But today, we're just going to focus on one, and that is biological sex and procreation. Biological sex and procreation. The Bible says, male and female, he created them. Now, if you don't know, this idea is vehemently under attack in our culture today. And I'm going to get really technical. And listen, I am not a biologist, nor do I play one on the internet, okay? But I, so I'm going to delve into a realm that is not my expertise. And, uh, nobody, and I had several doctors in the first service, and nobody corrected me at the door. So I think I'm good to go, okay? Uh, if not, you can correct me later. But in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about this idea of gender. Now we're going to talk about the idea of biological sex. And just to let you know... Um, the word gender came into the human language to refer to aspects of language. It was never applied to sexuality until less than a hundred years ago that they started using that to apply to, um, to, to human beings and to sexuality. But today we're going to focus specifically on biological sex. And I'm going to, to do that, I'm going to have to teach us two words. And the two words are essentialism and constructivism essentialism and constructivism. Now, most of us, well, we don't care about this. Why don't, why don't we care about this? Because this concept has only been taught for the past 100 years, and mainly it's being taught, for the past 20 years, it's been taught specifically in, in gender theory classrooms on college campuses, okay? So if you went to college in the last 20 years, maybe you took some kind of gender course, uh, maybe not. Most of us, obviously, when, it, when we were choosing our career, we looked how much money they were going to make, and gender theory's major said, not very much, and we said, nope, that's not for me. I'll choose the hard scientists, hard sciences, right? So we didn't go that route, but that's an academic discipline. That's an area of, of study on our college campuses. And for the past 20 years, they've been teaching these ideas of essentialism versus constructivism. Now I'm bringing this up because most of us haven't been affected by it unless we had to take that course or we're a gender studies major. But since the last 20 years, those ideas that were mainly in, in, the academic world on college campuses have now been embraced by nearly everyone on, on the cultural left specifically. Everyone in our, and, and, and Biden's White House believes this. This is the, the way that they're uh, communicating the, the, the policies they're pushing down from the Department of Education. It's, it's infiltrated most of our public school systems. And this is what your students are being taught. Okay? 
If, if, you, if, you don't, if you don't know that, this is what they're being taught. Here's the idea. Essentialism believes, it's the idea that all women and all men share some intrinsic properties that characterizes either womanness or manness. So there's something essential about being a woman that defines her womanness. And there's something different that's essential about being a man that defines his manness. Now, this is the historical view of biological sex, literally since the dawn of time. Okay? There's something uniquely male about men. There's something uniquely female about women. And what I mean by that is every single culture, every religion, all across the world have all agreed that men and women were essentially, in their essence, different from one another. They were both made with dignity, value, and worth, but their essence was different. This is why if you go out and watch the documentary, I think by Matt Walsh, What is a Woman? He goes to the tribes in Africa and he asks them, what is a woman? And they just laugh. They're like, right there. Like they just point. They're like, we, we know the difference between men. What, what is this question? Is this a trick question? It takes a certain amount of Western education to get us to believe that they're, they're not something essentially different about them. But in the last 100 years or so, with the rise of feminism, actually, another view came into focus, and that is called constructivism. Constructivism is the idea that there are no differences between men and women at the level of essence or at the level of being, that any differences we perceive, well, it looks like a man is stronger than a woman. No, 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 that's just perception. Culture just told you that. Just because men have been raised that way. So this idea of constructivism is that you are a product of your, strictly a product of your culture and your sex is actually a product of your culture. So you hear this term, people being assigned a sex at birth. That's not my assign. You assigned my sex at birth. It's this idea of constructivism. That all the differences we perceive are merely a product of society and our culture. Now, this was feminism's way of trying to say that women are just as intelligent as men, right? And they can do, and, and you know, and some good things came of that, right? But there was a problem in the argument from the very beginning. And once our culture grasped onto this idea, it smuggled in with it. It was like the Trojan horse that smuggled with it all in kind of all kind of false ideas about what it means to be a human being. What does it mean to be male? And what does it mean to be female? And now the ideas are being taught that your, your body doesn't tell you anything about your sex as a person. This view of constructivism isn't what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that every man and woman is made equal in dignity, value, and worth, but we are not equivalent. We have different essences. We all have, we have natures that are unique. And I will never know what it means to be a woman, right? And you'll, if you're a woman, you'll never know what it means to be a man because you have a different nature than your husband or a different nature than your wife. Now, 
this view has taught things like a man can do anything a woman can do and a woman can do anything a man can do. And now listen, everybody with any common sense, we're, we're on the sidelines going, what? What? And that we're hearing in our culture, I don't know if you heard this term in our culture, that we're no longer saying pregnant, pregnant women. We're now saying pregnant people. Pregnant people. What is it doing? It's smuggling this idea of constructivism into our vernacular to change our language, to change our understanding of the human person. There are no pregnant people. There's only pregnant women. If you are a male, you cannot get pregnant. No one ever has, okay? If you are a male, you cannot get pregnant. So immediately when we hear things like, what is a woman? Probably your gut reaction, person can get pregnant. Has something to do with giving birth, babies, something like that, right? And you'd be right, common sense, you'd be right. But here's the deal. Here's what our young people are getting. The rebuttal to that, the rebuttal to that they're getting is, call, is what I call the whatabouts. It's the whatabouts. You say, what's a woman? I say, person that can have a baby. That's probably, and then here's what happens. Well, what about women who choose not to have kids? You're saying they're not a woman? Well, what about women who are infertile? You're saying they're not a woman? What about women who are postmenopausal? What about women who've had mastectomies or hysterectomies? What about women that have a, the rare condition that women have a Y chromosome? And it puts, us, puts our kids on, the back, on their back foot and they don't know how to react. And then they think, okay, I guess you're probably right. I guess sexuality is a spectrum. No, that's not right. But to understand how our biology speaks to what sex we are, we have to understand the difference here between potentiality and actuality. Okay? What do I mean by that? Potentiality refers to any inherent potential or possibility a thing has. In, in other words, every single woman has the potential to become pregnant. Every single man does not have that potential. Okay? Every single man has the potential to give life, right? Every woman does not. She receives. That's we have to get down to, we have to get to this idea of potential and actualization. Abigail Favale, she is a gender, she was a gender studies professor who then became a Christian. She writes in her book, Genesis of Gender. She says this, this is her answer. What is a woman? It's going to get technical guys. I have to get technical. Sorry. A woman is a kind of human being whose body is organized around the potential to gestate new life. A woman is a human being whose body is organized around the potential to gestate new life. There's not one thing that makes her a woman. Her whole body, the whole organism is organized around the potential to create new life. This potentiality that belongs to femaleness is always present. Now listen to this. Even if there is some kind of condition, such as age or disease, that prevents that potential from being actualized. Okay? So we see here that God has organized our physical bodies. He's created us biologically and he names us male and female. And he tells to them that what are we supposed to do? Male and female are created and God blesses them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Listen to me. Your physical body is a blessing from God. 
Your physical body is a blessing from God and it's meant to be received as a blessing. We're not meant to rage against our bodies. There's something wrong with us if we are raging against our bodies. We don't like the stretch marks that we have. We don't like the size that we don't have. We don't like certain things and we want to surgically enhance other parts of our body. Our bodies are meant to be received. They're a blessing from God. Our human bodies are organized around a purpose according to our distinct role in reproducing. Now, again, I'm going to get a little technical. The structure of our bodies... Women's bodies look differently than men's. Why? The structure of our bodies is arranged to produce either large sex cells or small sex cells. These cells are called gametes. Large gametes are ova and small gametes are sperm. Listen, a body designed to produce ova is female. A body designed to produce sperm is male. This twofold distinction, this binary between large and small gametes is stable and universal. Not only through our species, but also among all plant and animal species that reproduce sexually. Do you hear this? There is no gender spec or there is no sexual spectrum here between male and female. Can we def- so we can definitively answer the question, what is a woman? A woman is a human being that produces large gametes with the potential to gestate new life. Her whole body, listen, I'm just going to say it like this. Ladies, your whole body, all of your biology was meant to do this. That's what it was meant to do. That's going to tell you something about what you're for. Right? You carry extra, I'm sorry ladies, you carry extra fat on your body for a purpose. Right? God designed your body for this purpose. And men, God designed your body for this purpose in unique and distinct ways. Now I have to get so technical because this is the arguments. And, and they're, they're making these arguments in TikTok videos. They're making these arguments in these 20 second videos that are, that are meant to teach our children That sex, biological sex, is a social construct that is assigned at birth. That is a bald-faced lie, and it's leading to all kinds of consequences, horrible consequences. Children being raised to believe this as they're going through puberty, and when you're going through puberty, you feel like an alien in your body, okay? Like, you go watch fifth and sixth grade girls play basketball, right? They are just elbows and knees and big feet, just flopping all around, right? Their body, in their mind, they're Michael Jordan. In their mind, they're LeBron. In their mind, that's what they're doing. And in real life, nothing works quite right, right? You feel, listen, we grow up and we feel weird. Hey, boys are the same way. You wake up and look in the mirror. Why do I have two hairs sticking out right here? Like, Right? Like the full beard doesn't just show up day one, right? Like we're like, oh man, I got two sticking out right there. That's really awkward, right? 
We feel weird. We feel not at home in our bodies, but we must receive our bodies as a good thing and not, here's what's going on right now. Children are not feeling at home in their bodies. They're looking at TikTok. They're being overly sexualized and they're, I don't look like that. And they're doing one or two things. One, some of the teenage girls, they see the Kim Kardashians and they want to live into that. And so they're living that hypersexual existence at a young age. Or two, they look at that and go, I could never be that. I feel... I don't feel at home in my body. And they're, they're, they're doing radical things to their body, like having surgical procedure, procedures to remove their breasts and to do all kinds of different things, taking pills to stop their hormones. And it's, it's, it's going to have long-term devastating consequences to them. It's, it's, it's going to be absolutely horrible for our, our, our society. And it's horrible for them because you can never reverse that stuff. You can never go back. Our bodies tell us something about our purpose, our telos, what we're made for. This is not an appropriate illustration. I get it, but I'm going to use it anyways. You find a gun on the, on the road. You look, this thing was created for a, a certain purpose, point and shoot. That's what it's created for. It's telos is to shoot something. Okay, that's its telos. That's its goal. When you look at your body, your body is meant to say, this is what I'm for. Women, you're made to receive, you're made to carry a child. Men, you're made to provide, you're made to protect, and you're made to give life. We are custom designed by God. A child's sex is determined at conception, biologically. Now listen, Here's the common rebuttal. We, most of you are like, amen, amen, amen. But here's the common rebuttal that, that they're going to hear out in the world. The common rebuttal is, well, hey, there's intersex people. There's people that are intersex. So therefore, sex must not be binary. That intersex term is, is just this big term that includes all kinds of different things. And most people don't know what it means. The reality is the vast majority of people categorized as intersex are unambiguously male or female. 99.98%. There is no third sex. There is no spectrum of possible sexes. In the beginning, God made them male and female and that goes all the way down to our biology. And then what does God do? God blesses them. Oh, I'm, I'm running late, y'all. I got to get going. I'm running late. I'm sorry. And God blessed them. So God looks at our bodies and he blesses them. He makes them fruitful. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Again, he repeats the cultural mandate, this time with make babies. Making babies is part of the cultural mandate. Just come on, somebody. Come on. Right? This shows us our final aspect of the Imago Dei that we're going to look at today. The blessing of procreation. Why do Christians believe that marriage is only between one man and one woman? It's not because we're bigots. No, it's because this is the only union that brings the possibility of new life. This is the only union that reproduces another image bearer of King Jesus. No other, it, marriage isn't about love. Marriage isn't about going on vacations. Marriage isn't about having one bank account and life going well for you. Marriage is about honoring our King and Lord Jesus Christ. He gave us our body to desire the opposite sex, to be, to get married with them, to make babies. That's one of the ways he fulfills the cultural mandate. In other words, 
Culture making is also baby making. When a man and a woman are united in marriage and come together in sexual union, those two are becoming one and that union is a procreative union. The plants did it. The animals did it. Now mankind does it, right? The opposites, male and female. What makes this unique from the animals is that when male and female human beings come together, another image bearer has the potential to be created. It means sexual union isn't just fun. That's what the world tells you. It's just fun. It isn't just pleasurable, though it is, thank God. It's also one of the keys, the key ways that God has designed for his glory to spread over all the earth. I I remember one of my favorite things is when my wife gave birth, I would bring that baby and I would say, welcome to our father's world. An image bearer of King Jesus just entered this planet. An eternal soul that's meant to live forever with God has just entered this planet and it's now in my home and it's my job to raise him. Only human beings are made in the image of God. Paul says in Corinthians that man is the glory of God and woman is the glory of man and God wants that glory to spread across the face of the earth. The only way that happens is when a man and a woman come together in sexual union. We see in Genesis 2, So again, Genesis 1 is this 30,000 foot view. Genesis 2 is going to get down in the nitty gritty and show us specifically how male and female are different and how they're made differently. And what we're meant to see, one of the first things we're meant to see in Genesis 2 is how the rhythm of creation was disrupted. Remember that rhythm? God said, God saw, God said that it was good, right? Remember that rhythm? God created, right? He spoke, he created, and he saw that it was good. God creates man first, from the dust of the earth. And he says, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. The rhythm of see, say, good was disrupted. Or say, see, good was disrupted. Mankind, man was meant to have a companion. He was incomplete without his wife. Male needed female. He was like a penny with a heads on one side and nothing on the other side. Man without a woman was a man in half. Man and woman are meant to come together in holy matrimony. That's God's design. So one of the ways that God has always intended for the kingdom of God to advance in this world is through godly households. It's in our marriages and homes where gospel culture is first cultivated and created. We teach our children about God. We teach our children about God's world. We sing, we labor, we laugh, we enjoy all that God has given us and we do it all to the glory of God. This was God's original intention. Now listen, I've come to believe that most Christians aren't aware of this. I wasn't aware of this. I was raised in a Christian home, but this is not what I was taught. I was taught that Jesus just wanted me to pray a prayer so that I could go to heaven when I die. It was mainly, Christianity was mainly about Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. So in short, listen, I thought this big old book was mainly about saving my soul. It's not. 
the main plot of this Bible is everything we've just talked about in Genesis. It's the cultural mandate. That's the main plot. The main plot of the Bible is the cultural mandate. What God created us for. Redemption is the subplot. Okay? Redemption is necessary because we were created righteous. Adam and Eve were created good. Then they fell into sin. Their sin brought a curse upon them. Their sin brought a curse upon all of creation. Therefore, God had to send Jesus to this earth. And what did he do? He didn't send a ghost. He didn't send a spirit. Jesus Christ had to put on flesh and he came as a man. That means his physical body could produce sperm. He was a man when he came to this earth. And what did he do? He did what we all should do. He lived a perfect life in obedience to God. He never sinned once, right? He, he lived to the glory of God. And then he went even farther and he took our place as our representative. He took the wrath of God upon him for our many sins so that what? He could renew us. He could redeem us. He could save us. He, for, he can forgive us. But we, gotta, we can't lose sight of this. L listen to all those re words. Redeem, renew, restore. We need to ask, restore to what? The goal isn't, I'm saved. I'll just wait till I die and then I guess I'm gonna meet Jesus. No, no, no. You're redeemed, you're renewed, you're restored to go back to what you were originally created to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Take dominion over all the earth. That's what you're made for. That's what Jesus came to do. So redemption is the subplot in the story of taking the earth from a garden to a city. And so we're here on this earth to fulfill the great commission, not just to make disciples, right? But also to take dominion in whatever sphere of life God has put us in. We need to take dominion of our schedules. We need to take dominion of our homes. We need to take dominion of our yards. We need to take dominion of our careers. We need to take dominion over our bodies and not let our desires rule and reign over us. We're here to rule like kings and queens as God's vice regents. Sin did not eliminate the cultural mandate. It only perverted it. It only bent it. And redemption Restores it. Jesus redeemed us from the slavery of sin. He gave us freedom. Freedom not to do whatever we wanted. Freedom to go back to our origins. To do what we were originally created to do. The freedom to walk with God. Obey his commandments. To do his will once again to preach the gospel, disciple the nations, execute his mandate by taking dominion of creation and building godly households that create godly culture and multiply his image over the face of the earth. This is our purpose. Male, female, this is what we are created to do. Listen. We all have things that limit that potential in us. Some of us, you struggle with infertility. Some of us, you can't find that man or that woman that you're looking for. Some of us have, we're having difficulty creating that career and taking dominion over our bodies. Or taking, this is why Jesus came. He came to redeem us. He came to renew us. He came to restore us. We, you will never live the life that God has called you to live until you accept Jesus Christ as your redeemer. Jesus restores us back to our origins. He heals, redeems, renews, 
restores what sin has broken and bent in us. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for this story. I thank you for you creating us for a purpose. I pray that we would, every single person in this room would lean into it. We would embrace it. We would push back against the lies in the world that tell us what men and women are for or, what, or that we're, we're nothing. We just get to create our own purpose. Father, our bodies tell us that we have a purpose. Our bodies show that we have a telos. I pray that they would communicate it to us. I pray that those in this room who have never put their faith in Jesus Christ, they, they know they're broken. They know they struggle with feelings of inadequacy. They, they, they rage against their own body, maybe, Lord God. They need a redeemer. And that, that is Jesus Christ, the one who lived the life they could never live and died the death that they deserved so they could have new life and a promise of a totally renewed and totally restored body that you'll bring with you in the new heavens, the new earth. Jesus, would you save us? For those of us this morning who are Christians and we do believe, would we remember in this meal that we're about to celebrate together that the one physical body that Jesus was given, he willingly gave it up. It was marred and disfigured, bloodied, bruised. He was beaten to, when he, to, to the point where he was beyond recognition. He didn't try to save his body. He didn't try to keep his body. He willingly gave up his body to save us from our sins. Father God, I pray that we would remember that as we take the, the bread, that it is his body that is broken for us. And we take the cup that is his blood that was shed. That's the cup of the new covenant. That we are justified, we are made right with God, not by our own works, but by the work of Christ in our place. Would you communicate your grace to us? Would you communicate your goodness to us as we eat this meal together? In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.